So what, what is the fear of the Lord? All right, let me say this, and I, I, I'm going to say to you tonight, I'm going to repeat some things I just said in this program because I need to lay a foundation again. What is the fear of the Lord? It is not to be scared of God. And as I said, when Moses led Israel out of Egypt, and, and let me ask you as an audience, when Moses led Egypt out of the audience, or out of, excuse me, <laughs> yes, he led Egypt out of the audience. That's what we're doing right now. I got to... When Moses led Israel out of Egypt, where was their destination? Everybody say it really loud. The promised land. No. What did Moses say to Pharaoh? What did Moses say to Pharaoh? Over and over again, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they might worship me in the desert. Why do you want to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land without first bringing them to the promiser? Okay, if you bring the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land without first bringing them to the promiser, you're going you're gonna to get a bunch of people that are going to make the promised land into a place of idolatry. Okay? This is what we did in the 80s and the 90s in the church. We preached more of what Jesus would do for us rather than who he is. So we spawned disciples that start seeking God for what he can do for me, not who he is. Right? And that's like a woman marrying a man because he's got a lot of money. She marries him out of love, but for the wrong reasons. You see, I find something so amazing. I look at Israel. Israel is abused by Egypt, correct? They live in the slums. They eat the worst, wear the worst. They are working all their lives to build somebody else's inheritance. Their children are put to death by the Egyptians. They come out of Egypt, and they're constantly saying, let's go back to Egypt. It was better for us. But then I look at Moses. Now, think about Moses. He's raised in the most beautiful home on the planet because his grandfather, Pharaoh, is the wealthiest man in the whole planet. So that means he's got a Maserati. He's probably got a Lamborghini. He's probably got a Porsche. He's probably got an Audi, the top of the line Audi. He's probably got every Harley in the collections. He's got every I this and I that. He's got assistance. He can have any woman he wants in the whole nation and can even ask for other nations because he's a prince. But he comes out of Egypt and he never once says, I want to go back to Egypt. It is better for me back in Egypt. Now, what's the difference? He had one encounter with God face to face at that bush. Israel had a chance when he came down on the mountain. You see, you have to remember that the burning bush was at Mount Sinai. So what Moses wants to do is he wants to bring these people straight to the one that he met at the bush because getting in to the presence of God that took away his appetite from the world forever he never ever said I want to go back to Egypt now remember Egypt is a type of the world his appetite for the world was gone because he had one encounter with God you see we're always trying to get people to pray a formula sinners prayer at churches and don't get me wrong I don't want to make a movement of people saying, well, you know, that's not what we're going to do. But what, one thing I'm saying that we should add on to that is, why don't we give the Holy Spirit time to minister the presence of God to them? So that now, all of a sudden, they've tasted the heavenly gift. Okay, Moses tasted. He saw, he tasted at the burning bush. He said, i got to bring these people out there. So he brings them out to that mountain. God says, all right, Moses, you tell them, the whole reason I brought you out of Egypt was to bring you to myself. Go look it up in Exodus 19. It's amazing. 
The whole reason I brought them out of Egypt was to bring them to myself. It's in there. Read it. It's amazing. So he says, I'm so excited. I'm going to come down and introduce myself to him on the third day. So get them ready the next two days. And the third day I'm going to come down, which is prophetic, and I'm not going to go into that. So Moses gets them all ready. They wash their clothes. God comes down on the mountain. And what do they do? They all run away. And they say, Moses, we can't handle God. You talk to God. Tell us whatever he says. We're going to hear and do it. Now, that's amazing to me, right? And so Moses is heartbroken. And so his response to the people is Exodus 20, 20, where he says, do not fear. Now, look at me. Do not fear because God's come to test you. What's the test? To see if his fear is in you so that you may not sin. Wait a minute. Do not fear because God's come to test you to see if his fear is in you so that you may not sin. He's not contradicting himself. He's differentiating between being scared of God and the fear of the Lord. As I said earlier, the person who fears God, well, the person who's scared of God, I should say it this way, has something to hide. That's why Adam hides from the presence of the Lord, okay? But the person who fears God has nothing to hide, okay? They're scared to be away from God. So the first definition of the fear of the Lord is to be terrified of being away from Him. You know, I'll never forget... Back in the 1990s, it was 1994, Jim Baker had read a book that I'd written called Victory in the Wilderness. It was the first book I'd ever written. He read it in prison. He'd been in prison for four years. When he read it, he contacted his assistant from prison, and he said, could you please find this author and ask him to come visit me in prison? So I remember I agreed to do it, and I walked into the prison, and he comes out in his prison garb. He grabs me, and he holds me, and he hugs me, and he won't let me go finally grabs my shoulders and he said did you write it or a ghostwriter i said no sir i wrote it i've gone through a wilderness but not near what you've gone through he said we have so much to talk about sit down and i remember he looked at me and he said this prison was not god's judgment on my my life it was his mercy on my life he said because john honestly if i would have kept living the way i was living i would have ended up in hell forever when he said that to me i thought okay you have my attention complete total attention So after about 20 minutes, I felt very, very comfortable with him, and I thought, I'm going to ask him some questions. My first question was, Jim, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? At what point did you stop loving Jesus? Because you have to understand, as a little boy, I grew up in Whitehall, Michigan, which was 15 minutes away from where he pastored in Muskegon, Michigan. So I said, when did you stop loving Jesus? How did it happen? And he looked at me, and he said, I didn't. what what do you mean you didn't fall out of love with jesus i said jim you committed adultery with jessica hahn you did all this mail fraud all this stuff you're in jail for what do you mean you didn't fall out of love with jesus and i'm perplexed and he sees i'm perplexed and he looked right at me and he said i didn't fear god john and he said there's millions of americans just like me they love jesus but they don't fear god You see, you have to understand, the New Testament teaches that he is Abba, Daddy. But the same New Testament says he's the consuming fire. Okay? So you have to understand something. If you don't have the love of God and you don't have the fear of God, you're going to end up in a rut. How many of you know that Jesus said the road to life is a narrow road? Right? How many of you know every road's got two ditches on both sides, right? So the first ditch is called legalism. 
Now, the church in the 1960s was in a legalistic ditch. Now, I wasn't a Christian back in the 60s. I didn't get saved till 79. But let me tell you something. I saw the remnants of this legalistic move because women would wear their hair in a bun. Remember, they didn't cut their hair and wore it up in a big bun, and they didn't wear any makeup, and they had dresses down to their ankles. You know, you can have a dress down to your ankles. You can have your hair up in a bun. You can have no makeup. You still have a seducing spirit up to your eyeballs, okay? That's not holiness, okay? So, so it was all about an outward form to try to hide a deficiency that was in our hearts. And we were in legalism, right? So what happened in the 60s? God brings a revelation to the church. You know what the revelation was? He used one man to do it. God is a good God. And something good is going to happen to you. The man was Oral Roberts, right? And then the charismatic move began, right? And we found out our daddy loved us. What did the love of God do? It delivered us from the ditch of legalism. But you know what we did? We said, I went so far from that ditch, I never fall in again. We went to the other side of the road and fell into the other ditch. And the other ditch is called lawlessness or lasciviousness, which is an excessive fleshly, worldly, disobedient lifestyle. And God's given us a force that keeps us, keeps us out of that ditch. It's called the fear of the Lord. So you see, it takes the love of God and the fear of God to keep us healthy. Okay? It's like two sides of a coin. You've got heads and tails. If you don't have tails, you don't have a coin. You need them both. And so when we understand that God is Abba Daddy, but he's also the king, he's also the consuming fire, we understand that there, there, there is a right way to understand that God is so much greater and more complex than our simple little, well, he's daddy and here's grace and doesn't matter how you live, you're going to get to heaven. That is a complete lack of the fear of the Lord. And you see, if you've got the fear of the Lord, Paul says, it will perfect holiness. We work out our salvation in the New Testament, it says, with fear and trembling. If you look at the church in the, early, in the book of Acts, you know what? They were all drunk on the day of Pentecost. I mean, they were experiencing daddy's love. So they got a little too familiar. They got a little bit loose. And so now this couple who's in good standing, they're members of the church of Jerusalem, bring up an offering, and it's a big offering. It's a big chunk of the land they just sold. And they lay it at Peter's feet, and the next thing you know, they're dead. And if you read in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, it says, So great fear came upon the church, not upon the city. Yes, it says somewhere else, great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Great fear came upon the church. So what is the fear of the Lord? So first of all, it is to be terrified to be away from him. The person who fears God doesn't say, How close can I get to the line of sin and not fall in? The person who fears God says, I went so far away, so close, to dad, so close to my daddy, that I'm so close to him, I can't even see that line of sin. Okay, that's the attitude they have. You understand what I'm saying? They're not saying, how close can I get and not, and not fall in? And so, what is it to fear God? It is to venerate him. That's a big word, which means to honor, to respect, to esteem, to value, to reverence, to stand in awe of him more than anything or anyone else. We firmly embrace God's heart. So we love what he loves, we hate what he hates. What is important to him becomes important to us. What is not so important to him is not so important to us. Remember Jesus said there are weightier matters. Are you with me? And so I want to share a scripture with you that, 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 that is absolutely one of my... Well, actually, let me say this. Let me, let, let, me, let, let, me, let me preface it with this before I go to that scripture. What is the evidence that somebody truly has the fear of God in their life, okay? Now, remember, 
The Holy Spirit, one of his manifestations is the fear of the Lord. Remember, he's the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. What is the evidence that somebody truly has the fear of the Lord in their life? Okay. Well, number one, they reverence his presence. But the second thing that you see in their life is they tremble at his word. Do you know how the Bible talks about trembling at his word? What does it mean to tremble at his word? Number one, it means you'll obey him instantly. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I still see some looks, and I, I want to make sure you're really clear, you that are watching this video. When I say what is the evidence of fear of the Lord, let's put it to you like this way. Let's say I've got a, an outlet. And I want to know, is there, is that outlet, is it live or is it dead? Well, if I put a, a brand new blow dryer in, and it's, it's a working blow dryer, in that outlet, and I turn the switch on, and hot air starts blowing, that's evidence that that is a good outlet. Correct? So what I'm asking is, what is the evidence? What is the outward evidence in somebody's life that they truly have the fear of the Lord? Number one, they'll obey God instantly. Number two, they'll obey God even if it doesn't make sense. See, has God ever told you to do something that didn't really make a lot of sense to you? Number three, it means you'll obey God even if it hurts. Number four, it means you'll obey God even if you don't see a benefit. Okay, let's look at Esther. She's queen to the Persian king and her cousin says you got to go before the king and you got to remember even though she's wife to the king she can't walk in that that courtroom because she wasn't scheduled and if she walks in and he doesn't point that scepter her head comes off she had everything to lose and she had nothing to gain she had nothing to gain by going in there what, what good did it do her i mean yeah all the jews are going to be destroyed on a certain day but nobody knew she was a Jew. She's queen. She's not going to be destroyed. So she has everything to lose, including her head, and nothing to gain, but she still obeyed God. She feared God. And number five means you'll obey him to completion. Saul did 99.9% .9 of what God asked him to do. Yet Samuel still looked at him and said, you disobeyed God. You rebelled against God. Think about it. He killed every Amalekite except one person. Now, here's the scripture I wanted to bring you to because this is the, I think, this is the juggler vein scripture in the Bible on the fear of the Lord. Psalm 25, 14. It says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him and He will show them His covenant. Now, I want you to listen to that. The secret of of the Lord or the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him now I want to ask you a question to all my audience if you're watching by video answer me how many of you have secrets in your life let me see you show your hands sh show your hands okay what do I do with the rest of you pray for you for lying now or later <laughs> everybody has secrets in their life how many of you know all secrets aren't bad okay so your mind went to the negative on that one okay all right, so let me ask again. How many of you got secrets in your life? Everybody's got secrets. All right. Now, now this is, this is, I want you to honestly answer this question. 
Who do you share your secrets with? And I'm going to give you two choices. Choice number one, okay, acquaintances. Choice number two, intimate close friends. Intimate close friends. God's no different. God says, I share my secrets with my intimate close friends. And by the way, my intimate close friends are those who fear me. Now, let me show you that I'm not taking this out of context. I'm going to read Psalm 25, 14, same Psalm out of the New Living Translation. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. So you know what God is saying right there? God, not everybody's my friend. Let me be more specific. Not everybody in the church is my friend. Okay? There were two men that were called the friend of God in the Old Testament. Okay? Who are the two men? Abraham and Moses. Were there others? Absolutely. Okay, I believe David was a friend of God. I believe Daniel was a friend of God. I believe Joseph was a friend of God. Many others, Deborah, Esther. But these two men's lives exemplified what it took to have a relationship of friendship with the Lord. Let's talk about the first guy, Abraham. Why is Abraham called the friend of God? Because when Abraham was really old, one night God comes to him and says, Abe, yes, Lord, yes. I want you to take your son who you really love, who you've really grown attached to, the son you waited for for 25 years, and I want you to go on a three-day journey and kill him for me. Now, okay, you've heard the story a thousand times, okay? If not, if not more. But you have the book of Genesis to read. He didn't. You have to understand, all God says to him this night is, I want you to go three days and kill Isaac. He doesn't tell him why. He doesn't say, if you sacrifice Isaac, then I'll send my son. He does not say that. Do you understand what God is asking him to do? It would have been easier for Abraham to go kill himself because there was nothing or no one more important to Abraham than Isaac. Yet, do you know what my Bible says? Early the next morning, Abraham saddles his donkeys on his way. You know how some people say, well, you know, the Lord's been dealing with me about this now for several months, and they laugh. <laughs> you are bragging about your lack of the fear of God. Yeah. Okay? Okay, so now, God gives him a three-day journey. Why? To think it over. It's easier when you heard the booming voice of God the night before. But what about three, two and a half days later, you haven't heard one word from heaven, and you're looking at the mountain, you're going to put the most important person or thing to death in your life just because God said do it and didn't give you a reason to do it. But Abraham goes to the top of the mountain. He builds the altar. Can you imagine his emotions while he's building that altar? And his son's helping him build it. He ties up Isaac on that altar. He lifts up the knife, and he's ready to put the most important person or thing to death in his life just because God said did do it and didn't give him a reason. And right as he's ready to thrust the knife through Isaac, an angel of the Lord appears, and you go read it in your own Bible, and the angel says, Abraham, stop, because now I know you fear God. How did the angel know that Abraham feared God? Because he obeyed instantly. Because he obeyed when it didn't make sense. Because he obeyed when it hurt. Because he obeyed when he didn't see a benefit. And because he obeyed to completion. Abraham puts down the knife, unties Isaac, lifts up his eyes, and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And out of his 
inside comes this, Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord my provider. Now, you've heard that before because you've read the Bible, but wait a minute. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham no human being had ever known before. Why? Because he's my friend. Okay, some of you aren't getting this. Some of you are. Okay, all right. All of you know me as John Bevere speaker. Some of you know me as John Bevere author. But there is a lady, and she is a lady. Her name is Lisa, Lisa Bevere. She knows me as John Bevere husband. She knows me as John Bevere best friend. She knows me as John Bevere dad. She knows me as John Bevere G daddy, which that's grandpa because I'm way too young to be called grandpa. She knows me as John Bevere athlete. She knows me as John Bevere lover. Now, can I say this? None of you will ever know me as John Bevere lover. <laughs> that is a facet of my personality you will never know. Only Lisa knows it because she's the closest person to me on this earth. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham that nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Now, if you look at the relationship between God and Abraham, it's amazing. One day God makes this statement. Should we do what we're planning on doing with Sodom and Gomorrah without first talking to our friend Abraham about this? So the Lord comes down by the terebinth trees, has a meal with Abraham. Then he and Abraham leave the two angels and everybody else, all the servants, and they go over to the cliff and they look over the plains of Sodom. And the Lord looks at Abe and says, Abe, we're thinking about blowing up these two cities. What do you think? <laughs> and Abe goes, Sodom? And the Lord goes, yeah, 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 so and, and Gomorrah too. What do you think? And Abe goes, think, think, think. Okay, okay, wait. You wouldn't like blow up these two cities if there was 50 righteous people, would you? And the Lord goes, excellent idea, excellent idea. Okay, we will not blow up the cities if there's 50 righteous people. Glad we talked to our friend Abraham. Abraham goes, what if there isn't 50? He goes, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about if there was 45 righteous people? Would you blow up the cities if there's 45? Lord goes, another good idea. Okay, we will not blow up the cities if there's 45. So Abraham talks him all the way down to 10. He figures there's got to be 10. I mean, I got lots. One, all I need is nine others, right? But you know there's not. Now, this is what is amazing. The Bible says Sodom and Gomorrah is buying, selling, trading, marrying, giving, and marriage, planting, and harvesting. What is all that in today's vernacular? Life is great. The economy's booming. And if there is a God, he doesn't mind our lifestyle. They're 24 hours from being obliterated, and they're clueless. That is not what's scary. This is what is scary. Everybody say lot. Lot. Who the Bible calls righteous. Second Peter chapter 1. Okay, let me put it in today's terminology. Saved. Born again. Christian. Lot's 24 hours away from being obliterated. He's as clueless as Sodom and Gomorrah. It takes two messengers of mercy, two angels, because Abraham prayed, thank God Abraham prayed, to get him out. And his wife was a little too attached. That's why she became pillar of salt. And Jesus says in the New Testament, remember Lot's wife, in speaking about the fear of the Lord. Now, here's two righteous men, two saved men, two born-again men. Let's put it in today's terminology. One righteous man knows what God's going to do before he does it and helps God decide how he's going to do it. The other righteous man, righteous man, saved man, is as clueless as the world.
Why? This righteous saved man fears God. Therefore, he's the friend of God. Therefore, God shares his secrets with him. This righteous saved born again man is not the friend of God. He's saved. He's righteous. But he's not the friend of God. Therefore, God doesn't share his secrets with him. Moses is the other man. The Bible says Israel knew God by his works. Moses knew his ways. He revealed his ways to Moses, but Israel knew God by his works, correct? What does it mean that Israel knew God by his works? Israel knew God by how their prayers were answered. Do you know how many people in America, Christians I'm talking about, their relationship with God is limited to how God's answered my prayers. My daughter was sick, we prayed, and God healed her. We had a financial need, we sowed a seed, and God met the need. Moses knew many times what God was going to do before he did it, and two times God literally changed his mind because of what Moses said to him in reminding God of what he had previously said. Now, here's two righteous people, okay? Groups of people. Because they all came out of Egypt. They all drank the same spiritual food, ate the same spiritual food. They all followed that rock, which was Christ. We have two groups of saved people. Israel, who only knows God by how he answers his prayers. And you have Moses, who knows what God's going to do before he does it. Why? Because Israel doesn't fear God, therefore they don't know the secrets of God. They only know God by how he answers their their prayers. And here's Moses, who knows what God's going to do before he does it, because he's the friend of God, because he fears God, because the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, do you want to see this in the New Testament? One person? You want to see it in the New Testament? Okay. Jesus made a statement. He said, you, well, let, let me say this. Je, before, before I read it, he's speaking to the 11. Judas has already gone to betray him. These are the 11 closest men to him on the face of the earth. These have been his very best friends. Jesus is allowed to have friends. You know that, right? Okay. So Jesus looks at these guys after Judas leaves, and he says, no longer do I call you servants. Now, the fact that he says, no longer do I call you servants, means at one time they were looked at and merely regarded as servants. That's not a revelation. That's a grammar lesson. Okay? Why does God do that with us? Why is there a time in our walk with him that even though we're an error, he treats us as a servant. Remember Galatians 4.1, as long as the heir is a child, he differs nothing from the servant. Why? Why? Now listen, this is so important that you understand this. Why is there a time when even though we're an heir, God has to treat us as a servant? Can I tell you why? To protect us. Because he loves us so much. He doesn't want happening to us what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, let me give you an example. It's really weak, but it works, okay? Um, We worked for two very large ministries, worldwide ministries, back in the 1980s. One had a staff of 450 people. The other one had a staff of 150 people. When we were launched into our own ministry in 1990, I came up with a new concept of leadership. 
every employee is going to be my best friend. So some of you already know the stupidity of that wisdom. Okay? So I hired our first guy on. His name was John. And I employed my new strategy. He's my best buddy. So we were playing basketball. We would even watch videos. He'd hang out at the house constantly. He'd eat dinner with us all the time. Best. And I was great the first year until I had to bring some minor correction to him because at our resource table, he was pre- treating people kind of rude. And so I sat him down after a year. And I said, John, listen, these are God's people. We love them. I don't want you to be unapproachable at the table. I want you to smile more. I want you to help them. And he looks back at me, no kidding. And he points his finger at me and he starts railing on me. Well, you're this and you're that and you're this. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my, my. So I immediately look inside. I said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, fire him. So I let him completely vent. And when he's done venting, I said, well, you can't work for Messenger International anymore. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Well, he storms out. He's mad. And I start crying because I really cared about the guy. Mm. Now I'm crying, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, he will be back working for you, and he will be twice as faithful. So three months go by. I haven't heard a peep from him, don't know what's going on in his life. I have no idea. And I get a phone call from him. He said, John, this is John. He said, for the last last three months, God has dealt with me and really spoken to me like he's never spoken to me before. He said, John, I lost sight of the place God had put you in my life. I lost sight of the place God had placed me in your life. He said, I started treating you as common and ordinary. He said, I did the same thing with Lisa. And he said, God has really dealt with me. And he said, I'm just calling to tell you, I'm so sorry. I really, really misunderstood and lost sight of who you were in my life. I said, John, I forgive you. Well, I talked a few more minutes. I said, would you, would you come back and work for us? He said, absolutely. He came back and worked for us. We never had problems with him in that area again. Now, 24 years later, I have a new policy. <laughs> I have 30 employees, right? So my policy now is I will not share the intimate things of my life with any of my employees until I know, first of all, they're very established in who God made them to be in my life, and Lisa's life, and until, well, they're very established in who I am in their life, and they're very established in who they are in my life, right? Are you with me? Because I don't want to destroy, and I don't do this because I'm scared to reveal my heart to my employees. I don't want to destroy them like I almost destroyed that young man. But once I know an employee of ours, a team member of ours, is very established in who I am and very established in who they are, I'll bring them in. Some of my employees are my closest friends. Okay? So this is what God says to us. He says, until you're very established in who you are before me and very established in who I am before you. I got to keep you at a servant level even though you're an heir because I don't want happening to you what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. But once you're established in who I am in your life and who you are in my life, the fear of the Lord, I can bring you in as a close friend. Are you seeing this?
So Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, the master's ways, his secrets, his wisdom. But I now have called you friends. Now here's his universal decree to the whole church. This is John 15, 14. You ready? Jesus said, you are my friends. Now, we always stop it right there. We sing songs about it. We preach sermons about it. We write books about Jesus being our friend, right? But we never finished the statement. Because he said, you are my friends if. Now, if where I come from in Colorado is a condition. Okay? In other words, if I look at you and I say, I will pay you $2,000. If you work for me next month, did you hear the word if? If you work for me next month. So you don't do anything for me next month, and then you come to me saying, where's my $2,000? I said, forget it. I told you I would pay you the $2,000 if you work for me next month. You didn't work for me the next month, therefore you don't get the $2,000. We all understand that. Why don't we understand it when it comes to the Bible? Because Jesus said, you are my friends if. Well, what's the condition? You want to know it? He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. There it is, the fear of the Lord trembling at his word. You know what Jesus is saying? Not everybody in the church is my intimate close friend, but he passionately desires everyone to be his close friend because James 4, 5 says the spirit who dwells in us yearns. To yearn means to long for intensely and consistently. He yearns for our intimate fellowship. He yearns for our friendship intensely. So he yearns, but you see, he loves us so much he wants to protect us. So we're not a statistic like Ananias and Sapphira or an example like Ananias and Sapphira. So can you imagine? Here's God wanting to come down, wrap his big arms around Israel. And reveal himself to him. Because he said, I brought you out to reveal you to myself. But he comes down and they all run away. And if you keep reading, you'll find out. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, God reviewed that account with Moses. And God said, you know what, Moses? I really, really wanted to reveal myself to all of them. But they didn't fear me, so I couldn't. So I told them to go to their tents. And I told you to come stand by me. And I talked to you face to face. And my voice to them was like thunder. You know, people ask me all the time, they say, where do you get these revelations from your book? Can I be really honest with you? I believe what God has revealed has come out of the fear of the Lord. And can I tell you something? The fear of the Lord and humility run hand in hand. Okay? The person who truly fears God, let me tell you something. You become much more humble a lack of humility in a person's life is a lack of the fear of the Lord. If you look at, if you look at Isaiah, Isaiah is a, he's, a, he's a godly man. He's a preacher of holiness, of righteousness. I mean, if you look at his book, Isaiah 4, 5, chapters 4 and 5, woe to the ungodly. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to the drunkard, right? Yeah. It comes to Isaiah 6 and he has one glimpse of the Lord. It's no longer woe is the drunkard. It's woe is me. And do you know what he says? He says, I'm coming apart at the seams. That's literally what he's saying. 
Because for the first time in Isaiah's life, even though he's a preacher of righteousness, he realized who it really was he was serving. And for the first time in his life, he realized who he was before this holy God. Because you have to remember, these seraphim are massive angels. And when he saw the Lord, these seraphim were covering their faces, and one was crying to the other, holy, holy, holy. Now, we wrote a song, and people sleep when they, we sing the song. It's a hymn, holy, holy, holy. And people, half the people are sleeping, right? That is not what they're doing. They are responding to what they see. Every moment, another facet of his holiness is being revealed. Okay? His greatness is being revealed. And all they can do is cry, holy. Now, they're not crying holy, holy, holy three times. That's a Hebrew form of writing. I've got an expert here in Sid. Whenever the Hebrews want to emphasize a word, they'd write it twice. Like when Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, Right? If you were in that room, he would have said, Verily, I say to you. When he said, Not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, you would have heard it like this. Not everybody says to me, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. They go, Whoa, we've got to emphasize that they write it twice. They would bold, we, today, we boldface, we italicize, right? We put all caps. The Hebrew writers would write it twice. But very rarely does a Hebrew writer elevate it to the third degree. Okay, you see in the book of Revelations when the angels go, whoa, whoa, whoa. They don't go, whoa, three times. They are yelling, whoa, so loud that John writes it three times because Hebrews really respect words, okay? And so they won't ever, you know, we overemphasize. Man, you got to eat an In-N-Out burger. It's awesome, right? That movie was awesome. And so I come along and say, God is awesome. And you go, so is my burger and so is the movie. What does awesome mean? Full of awe. See, we use words so loosely today, we lose the power of them. The Hebrews, they were so careful. So very rarely does a Hebrew elevate to the third degree, right? So, so here's Isaiah. He is before the throne of God. It has to be a spiritual vision. He couldn't have been there in his body. And he's there in the spirit. He's groveling on the floor. These massive angels are not singing a song. They are responding to what they see. They're not saying, these seraphim, you know what, I've been, I've, been, I've been here for 10 trillion years. God, can I go see some other parts of the universe? They don't, they don't want that. They don't want to be anywhere else because there's nothing in creation more beautiful than the creator. And so every moment, another facet of his glory is being revealed and all they can do is cry holy. And they're crying holy so loud the doorposts of that auditorium that can seat probably a billion people are shaking. Now, you know what builders told me when I lived in Florida? They said, if you're ever stupid enough to hang around when a hurricane comes through, get underneath the door jams of the interior room of the house. It's the most stable part of the structure. Their cries of responding to what they see are shaking a building in heaven that seats a million, a billion people. Do you understand Isaiah's groveling? He's groveling on the ground, on coming apart at the scenes, and he's crying out, woe is me, because he realized who he was before this holy God. Look, don't get me wrong. Jesus brought us and reconciled us back to the Father, but he's still God. And in the New Testament, he's still called the consuming fire. He's still called 
the just and holy God in the New Testament. So we have to understand him as daddy, and we have to know him as king. And we understand that when we know him as daddy, and we know him as king, we live a very healthy life. Can I pray for you tonight? If you say, John, you know what? Can I tell you? Let me tell you this. How did this all begin with me? I went to a church back in the mid-90s. They had just had an internationally known revivalist. He was there for four weeks. The community had 60,000 people in it, and the church had 1,000 members. They had one sixtieth of the community in that church. It was a hopping church. I went in there, and I preached a little bit on the fear of the Lord. Much lighter version of what you heard tonight because I didn't know what I know now. The next night when I got up to speak again, the pastor got up and corrected me for 15 minutes. He said, we don't, John is confused. We do not have to fear the Lord because the Bible says perfected love casts out fear. We have a father. We love him. We don't have to fear him. Well, he confused the spirit of fear with the fear of the Lord. And I'll never forget, I went out the next day and I found a construction site because I love praying outside. And I remember I literally, I, I was terrified. I thought, God, I've hurt your church. I've been corrected by a pastor for 15 minutes before I was introduced last night. And I said, I've hurt your church. I'm so sorry. And I remember crying out to God. And I didn't feel his displeasure. I felt his pleasure. And before that prayer time was over, I found myself crying out for the fear of the Lord. And that's how my whole journey began. And so tonight, I want to pray with you the same Holy Spirit of the fear of the Lord will manifest and fill your life. Because you know the Bible says the fear of the Lord is safe. I don't know about you, but I want to be safe. Right? It's too, too messed up of a world right now. And I'm not scared of the world. Believe me, I'm not scared. When you're safe, you're fearless when it comes to the world. Okay? You don't go hide. You're fearless. You're going to serve who you fear. If you fear God... You're not going to fear anything the world has to throw at you. But if you fear men, you're going to serve men. I don't know about you, but I want to serve God. Amen? So if you say, John, I want fear of the Lord, I want you to say, whether you're watching by video or you're in here tonight, just lift up your hands right now. And so, Father, we come before you. Holy Spirit of God, You are the spirit of wisdom. You are the spirit of might. You are the spirit of understanding. The spirit of counsel. You are the spirit of the Lord God. But you are also the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It is that manifestation we desire tonight and we ask you for tonight. I'm asking, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name that you would baptize every one of us with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit of the fear of the Lord. May your presence manifest in Jesus' name. There's his presence right there. Just lift your hands up. In Jesus' name name there's his presence right there father thank you
for what you're doing in here right now. Even as people are being filled, their bodies are being healed. There's chronic pain that has been suffered in someone's back and you will not suffer that chronic pain any longer because it's like oil is pouring right down your spine even right now. Others of you are having joint problems, arthritic problems. We curse it now because the fire of God is literally revitalizing those joints. The presence of the Lord is in this place. Somebody's foot's being healed. I don't know what's wrong with your foot, but your foot's being healed right now. I break the power of nightmares, reoccurring nightmares that have plagued you. No, they're not messages from God, and they are not condemning messages to you. They are a demonic attack, and I break that attack off of your life in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, I thank you for freedom in this room, and I thank you for your presence manifesting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank God for what he's done? Amen. 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 God bless you.